Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, you are listening to Freight 360. Whether it's breaking news, tips to increase your business, or just some good old sports talk, this podcast is all about having a conversation about the world of freight. I'm your host, Nate Cross. And Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. All right, welcome back for episode 101 of Freight 360. Ben, how are you doing today? Doing well. Doing 101. Well. I love it. I love it. If you're if you're brand new here, welcome to Freight 360. If you've been with us for a while, welcome back. Got another great episode for you today. Today, we got so many questions. We're just going to answer questions all day today. It's going to be great. Um, make sure to hit up the review section on iTunes. Leave that five-star review. I got a review to read off today, actually. This is good. This is from Cobra716. Uh, a college education in freight brokering for free. Nate and Ben do an amazing job sharing their insight into the freight broker business. Whether you are a beginner looking to start a career in freight or you own your own brokerage, listening to Nate and Ben will help you learn many tips and tricks of the trade. They are able to break down the complicated and make it simple to understand. 100% worth the listen. Well, thanks, Cobra716. Uh, new website dropping. Should be dropped. Possibly tomorrow. Yeah, it should be dropped. I mean, we keep saying this, but we... <laughs> We had one more call with them today and we had a couple little things we wanted to tweak on it, but I can't wait, man. It looks so good. And it's got that searchable library on there. So you can go through and just type in like prospecting or sales and you can find all the blogs or videos or podcasts that have to do with whatever you're searching for. I think that's, that's one of the, and I think that's big. Like that's one of the biggest pet peeves I have with the people that I follow and listen to their content. Um, it's very hard to search within their libraries. I mean, some of them, I honestly, I don't know of really anyone that I found that I follow and listen to their content or follow what they do and has a searchable library. Um, like Tim Ferriss is a guy I follow a ton and he's got like over 400 long form and like I'll hear or read something and somebody will refer to an episode he's done. And if the number's not there and they just reference their name, like I have a very difficult time finding it sometimes. And yeah. I think this is going to be really helpful for all of our listeners out there and students just to be able to stay on one topic, because obviously we've got quite a bit of episodes, quite a bit of videos out there now. And if you want to learn something on prospecting, we want you to be able to see literally everything we've put out on that. Um, yep. That was, that was the whole goal. And we wanted to make sure that those tools were all in place before we launched it. So thanks to our friends over at lean and uh, Hey, might as well make a mention of lean while we're at it. So if, if you have a need for any kind of staffing tech marketing, you name it, sales help, Lean Solutions Group. There's a link in the show notes for the website. Obviously, we had Trey on here last week. Go talk to our friends over at Lean. We're actually we're uh, we're going to be doing some marketing work with them um, throughout the remainder. Uh, actually, probably moving forward. I don't know how long it's going to last. Probably just in perpetuity. They're so good at it, and they've even if they don't have a solution for you, they'll partner you up with a trusted uh, vendor of theirs. Um, that way, there's really nothing they can't do. So check them out, LeanGroup.com. Um, what else we got, man? I got. I definitely got to recap the Olympics here because I made a little blunder or a blunder or I, I messed up on last week's episode. But you got anything else before that? I do not. I've got nothing on the sports side. I've. It's all you, brother. All right. So last week I said that the Olympics were ending on Friday. They ended on Sunday. They went throughout the weekend, and I said the U.S. was not going to win the gold medal count, and they did. They did. So we won the Olympics, man. They had they had the most gold medals by a margin of one, and they had 
the most total medals by a big margin. I don't know what the exact number was, but go team USA way to go. Can't believe it's only six more months until the winter Olympics. It's insane. Those are my favorite. Yeah, um, they're good. I, even though I live where it's warm and I do very, very few winter activities anymore. I love watching skiing. I love watching the moguls, all of the skiing events, the, I'm just more of a winter Olympics guy, even going back to being a kid. Yeah. Hey, I'm with you, man. That's all. I I live in Buffalo. So, but you, you know, you grew up in the Northeast too. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Nothing else really in sports. I mean, we're getting into, uh, we're just about to kick off preseason football, right? We had the hall of fame game last week. Um, And everyone's yeah. Three weeks of preseason, right? Three weeks this year. I think so. Yeah. Three weeks. And then I don't know, man. I, yeah. Cause they went from four to three and then mm-hmm. they're going to have 17 regular games. And yep. they added a game the regular season. Yeah. Super excited yep. for that. So, well, good stuff, man. Good stuff. Um, so I wanted to revisit before we get too deep into the questions today, I wanted to revisit dispatching just really quick. So um, one of the listeners, Steven had actually emailed Ben and I, after we did our episode on dispatching, I think it was last month that we did it, right? And one of the things that we left out that dispatchers do is paperwork. And he brought up a really good point. I'm not going to read the whole email off, but we talked all about, you know, finding loads for carriers. That's one thing that a dispatcher can do, but also taking care of all the rate confirmations, invoices, all that paperwork that goes along with running a business. It's kind of hard to do, especially if you're behind the wheel of a truck, right? You don't always have a computer or a fax machine if people even still use those. But, you know, it's, it's, it's I would say that if you can add enough value and that's one of the ways of doing it, you're absolutely worth the charge as a dispatcher. So um, I think that was big. That was a good point to add in there. And I wish we had caught it on the episode initially. Yeah, and it's I mean, it- it's all about specialization, right? Keep those folks moving and the dispatchers help facilitate the paperwork. They're helping organize these things. And I really liked how Stephen had pointed out that their organization gives carriers one of the options. Hey, if you want to negotiate your own loads, have at it. You want to build your own brand, do what you want. If you want us to handle it, we'd be happy to. For the most part, our job is to keep you guys moving and to keep you guys doing what you do best. Yeah, it's a good point. Like you said, you know, well, for, for example, right, some carriers, it's not a good fit for them to have a dispatcher. It could just be a wasted source of money or a wasted uh, stream of money or an expense, right? Because if you if you can handle those tasks on your own and it's not taken away from your ability to drive and maximize the amount of miles you're getting in and the amount of revenue you're going to earn from hauling freight, you probably don't need a dispatcher because you're just wasting money. You're just throwing it away. But you know, there's obviously a value add. It's kind of the same concept of carriers that would say, oh, I'm not going to use brokers. I'm just going to try and find my own freight. It's like, well, carriers are a lot more well-connected to the entire market of shippers. And the same goes with shippers trying to avoid brokers to go right to carriers. you got access to an entire marketplace when you add the broker in. So definitely a, uh, a valuable piece to add in there. Um, when, when necessary. And they are all very different jobs. I mean, I know they all seem very similar, I think, but they're very different. I mean, like when a shipper's main job is to manage and to make sure their inventory is either getting in or getting out or their customer orders. And they're literally managing that side of their business. Now the broker spends all of their time 
one, connecting with more shippers and connecting with more carriers. And then you have a carrier that's job is to really keep freight and cargo moving around the country. Like there's just no way you're going to be able to do that and talk to as many people as a broker is. You just would never be able to. And I think that's the question for the carriers out there is, you know, if you're considering this to think, do you want to optimize? Not every carrier is trying to optimize the amount of money they make every time they're doing it. Like maybe they're optimizing wanting to be close to home. Maybe they're optimizing wanting to haul certain types of freight. I mean, not everybody is just chasing the highest priced load every single day. And I think that's important to point out as well. Yep. Uh, Lastly on, and I'm just reviewing his email to us. He said, um, broker setup packets too. That's a big part of it. So when you've got to review that entire broker carrier packet and execute that, um, signing right confirmations, and even said, you know, it's not an all or nothing thing. He he will give drivers the choice to go on the boards themselves, book their own freight, negotiate with brokers directly if they want to, and keep him out of the entire transaction, um, or use him when they need to. So. Um, just things the thing he also threw a go Bengals in there at the end. So I thought that was pretty funny in the email, but um, it's a good thing to think about. I'm a huge fan. And just that business model of not having to be locked in contracted for a hundred percent. Right. Um, yep. Who is it? We were just having a conversation with somebody. I think it was Ryan from lean yesterday about how people are leaving the contract world and going to more of a, um, you know, no commitment, like use as needed type thing. And, I think that's kind of the way that a lot of people are are shifting the way that they do business is they don't want to be contracted in like, hey, I've got to use this dispatcher for every single load or this factor and company for every single load. So it's interesting. So. Yeah. And I mean, hey, before we'll get into the Q&A, let's take a minute from our friends, DAT, taking the guesswork out of freight with DAT. The DAT load board network is the largest on-demand freight marketplace in North America, connecting freight brokers with available capacity on any lane. Grow your business with tools that allow you to find new business partners. Plus, you can quickly qualify and onboard new carriers. And with the industry's leading freight rate data, you can make clear and confident pricing decisions. Take a look in the show notes for a free month of DAT Express, Power, or Trucker's Edge. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So the reason we wanted to do Q&A is we've been getting, um, I've gotten a lot of emails and LinkedIn messages lately, and I wanted to address these all um, just on an episode. Cause I've been like this first one we're going to talk about from our listener, Rod Rill. I've been telling him for a couple of weeks, like, Hey, I'm going to get it on the Q&A section. We just haven't had time. So yep. I, we, we love this, right? We don't have to always give you guys a, another educational episode every week. Cause Hey, there's a library full of content you can search through. So this one's going to be fun. It's going to be questions directly from you guys, the listeners. So Rod Rill, I'm going to read off his email here. Basically, in a nutshell, he's a carrier trying to figure out, I want to go out there and get direct shippers. And he's at, he wants some advice on which approach to take. So he says, uh, as of right now, I'm as entry level as they come. I guess how I've heard you guys mention during an episode, I am a green level agent. I've recently been promoted by an LLC looking to grow business in the freight department specifically, but we've been servicing our clients logistically for well over 20 years now. Our specific niche in the past has been specimen and medical deliveries and I'd like to continue to grow that specific client base, but on a larger level or production. The overall goal is to operate as its own brokerage. So now he asks, being new into that realm, should I 
I'm going to read it right off here. So um, should I try to acquire contracts through one of the larger brokerage companies or just jump out headfirst into the big ocean alone with hopes to land a big fish? And he goes on a little bit more. But so there's a, there's a lot to this question. And I clarified he has a carrier right now. So I, I can't speak to the brokerage side. I'll touch on that in a second. But it's a good question, Ben. If you're a motor carrier, right? And you're like, hey, I want to get some of this good freight. We're trying to grow our, our trucking company. Should I go try to get a contract with a big broker or should I just try and go get a direct shipper myself? Um, I mean, I would, I think there's room for both, right? I think it's, I it's probably very healthy. If you know where your capacity is strong, there's no, there's no reason to have a, a broker for those outbound lanes, Right. That's the Your first question calls. I would ask. The yeah. first question I would ask is look back to your organization. If we were live with them, I would want to understand a little bit exactly what you were pointing out. Like, where are you strong and where do you have the needs? Because a carrier grows very differently than a broker. A broker can pick up a customer in California, one in Florida, one in Chicago, one in New England, and one in Southern California. It doesn't make a difference. Now, for a carrier, like your drivers all live somewhere. Your, your assets are starting somewhere and usually starting in the same place every time. You already have places you're running front halls for. Like The next thing you want to look for are efficiencies. What other customers can you pick up that are aligned with your network? And to your point, you'll probably find some of that with brokers, but you'll also find some of it with direct shippers. Remember, yep. brokers will give you access to many different customers but may have consistency within a lane. For instance, like maybe you run, you know, California or you run San Francisco to Chicago all day long with one of your customers and a broker doesn't have one customer that runs the backside of it, might have 15 or 40. And out of all of their customers, they might have enough freight to aggregate and give your drivers the consistent backhauls they need. But again, like you've, you've, you should really start where you're strong, which is a weird piece of advice, but carriers should be growing, I think, organically, like from where they are, not as randomly as a brokerage growth. Yes. Agreed. Now I want to add to that. So he mentioned about growing into the brokerage side. Now there's a, there's a good tip here for a carrier that's going to be entering the brokerage realm. Think about, like you said, where you're already strong, who are your direct shippers? Now, if you've got a consistent relationship with some direct shippers and they like working with you, you can maintain, you can still stay as their number one point of contact for their shipping. But if you now begin to broker out loads for them, you have access to the entire marketplace. So I always think it's a it's a really great idea. Instead of just prospecting new shippers, first, why don't you go ahead and look at your direct shippers that you already have as a carrier. So that is my tip um, there. Just make sure on the brokerage side, you're not trying to get freight from other brokers unless it's a special co-brokerage agreement, but you have to either represent yourself as a motor carrier or as a freight broker. You can't- Here's the other thing. The other those, th- money those lines. And the other thing, I mean, we, we put the, this is in our course too, but it's, you know, warm calling. Um, you've been picking up for your customers. First place I would start prospecting are places you've delivered. Places yep. that know your service are familiar with you. Maybe you're going to recognize the truck, the name, everything, right? Yep. And try to move some of those and try to gain some customers for your brokerage from that. Try to expand from where you are to where you're going. I, I, because, I mean, even when you just think about it, 
without this question, any carrier, right, that is just calling on a shipper, right? Like shippers lanes could literally be anywhere. I mean, they might not even necessarily be where you're talking to them at. And just because they're big doesn't mean they would be, they would make economic sense or be profitable with your organization. Like who you get into the nitty gritty, like some of the smaller shippers might be way more profitable, might have better lanes and might keep more, might need more of your trucks than some of the bigger ones, at least in a concentrated area. Yep. That's why like big isn't always better in this world. I mean, some brokers, even in brokerage, right? Like, some of the best paying customers I've seen are companies nobody's ever heard of and nobody would think to call that somebody just randomly found through some local chamber of commerce. That's it, man. That's it. I love it. Good stuff. All right. So next question. Um, This is good. So it says, how can I keep good relationships with carriers if I have some bad shippers? And they went on to explain um, issues such as loads being canceled by the shipper, um, unrealistically long loading and unloading times when drivers are sent in and other facilities, detention, layover, all kinds of stuff like that. Okay. So you and I have talked about this in the past is that the concept of firing 20% of your customers every year, right? It's not an exact number, but the, the concept behind it is as your book of business develops and you can prospect and bring on new customers that are better for your book overall, you should be getting rid of the ones that aren't so good for your book because they're not such a good fit anymore. So these kind of shippers that um, that are problematic, like your uh, your problem child, children, I guess you'd call them, like they're dropping loads on you or canceling loads on you. Drivers hate picking up or delivering at their locations. I'd get rid of them. Um, but I mean, in the meantime, I would say there are ways to work with them. What are your thoughts? Yeah. And I think some of this, it's always, it's very gray area, right? Like with anybody bad, right? It's subjective. So the first thing is one, like canceled loads, like some of that stress needs to be pushed back. Like if you're just dealing with canceled loads and you've got trucks on them and you're not paying truck orders, not used, like the other thing, and this is the thing, like truck orders not used are not just to compensate the trucks for their time. That money is also an incentive to make the shippers operate efficiently. And if you're not taking the truck order not used and making your customer pay that bill, they aren't learning from their mistakes. They have no reason to get efficient and they aren't changing anything because why? It should sting. They should, yeah. they, should be, they should see it as like a, it's a penalty. They're, they're getting put in the penalty box. So you got exactly your cancellations is. is one. I mean, the, the second thing are load times and detention. Absolutely. They need to be paying for those. And if they aren't, that does remedy some of these things. I've had some difficult shippers that when they started paying these bills, started doing things better and more efficiently. Not always the case, but that's where I would start. Yeah. And there's another, so at the end of the day, there are some customers that, they're going to have large facilities that they're complex to navigate your way through. And they're, you know, it could, they're just going to be more, more problematic or more, a more touch kind of location. So just communicate with your carriers ahead of time, set that expectation and factor that into your rate. It's that simple, right? If you can consistently get those loads covered, but maybe you're making a little bit less margin at the end of the day, I'd still say it's a win-win, right? Because the last thing you want to do is then not be able to keep them covered because carriers are getting pissed off at you because they didn't know 
oh, I'm, I'm going to be here for four hours. Yeah. And oh, if I'm a minute late, I get put at the back of the line. So just communicate. I think that's, that goes with anything in this industry, but especially when it comes to nuances with shipping facilities and delivery locations. And I think, and I wanted to clarify, might as well we're on this topic on what a bad shipper is, right? It's not like, I, I think the there's, way a man, I, there's many factors that can make them. Yes. Bad. Let's I talk think about from, it. yeah. Like one of the things you want to look for is like one, how much time are you spending versus what is your return on that time? Right. And I do this with all of the clients I've ever worked with as we go through all of their customers and we look at what, what are you really making on them per month? And how much time do you think you're spending with this customer? Which I know is very hard to guess, but there are some things you can do to figure that out. Like throw a sheet of paper on your desk. Start jotting down how much you're doing for some of these. Try to write down how many things, how many things are going wrong on a daily basis. It looks much different when it's on paper than when it's in your head. And when you look at it the next day and then you start getting some really objective things like, okay, I really spent most of my day on this customer. We moved two loads and made $300. I have these other customers that I barely need to talk to. They're great to load. They always deliver. And I'm doing 80% of my business over there. Okay, well, your time's probably better used prospecting to find another customer than dealing with this customer that you're yep. barely breaking even on. And there, you know, if if you do that, you might see an initial slump in your business, but it's, ba- it's for the best overall. A, a huge example of that is customers that are uh, very low margin. They might have high claims percentage. Um, they like cancellations is a big one, but slow paying. Like this stuff hurts your business overall. Yeah. And there's shippers that honestly do this intentionally and it's part of their business model. They'll hire more shipping coordinators or traffic coordinators and the way they manage everything is they will constantly onboard new brokers because they're constantly losing their brokers. Like nobody wants to work with them. The carriers keep stopping working with them. So they're just turning over, over and over again. And they'll almost tell you that. Like they're always looking for the cheapest truck. They don't care who gives it to them. And if, if you can't deal with their BS, then- Hey, whatever. I've seen that quite often in uh, certain produce um, mm-hmm. markets. So that's not a bad way to get in and learn brokerage, I guess, but don't expect much out of it. Yeah. But to be honest, right. If you're new and most of our listeners are, if your customers are like this and they all seem like this, this is always also the way many good customers act when you first start working with them. And I want to point that out. Like you're never going to get their golden eggs. You're never going to get the freight, the carriers that have been working with them for years are getting. You're going to get what's really difficult to move, what they don't want to deal with, and they're going to beat you up on price. That is everybody to start with. Yep. If you've been working with them three months and they're still doing this, this is a different story. Six months, much different. In a year, you really should be moving away from them. Agreed. All right. This next question, I got a kick out of this. Um, someone asked, what is a Vlad? Have you heard this term? Well, I mean, it was always kind of like a joke. Yeah. Like everybody in Chicago that tried to beat you up on rate happened to have yeah. the name Vlad when you'd see the dispatcher. <laughs> yep. Um, so I would say California, like Glendale has been apparently hot for these type of either dispatchers or just carriers right now uh, or a dispatcher for a carrier or an independent dispatcher where like (laughs) they'll say, Hey, the loads got, uh, you know, this loads paying 2,500 and they're like, is that the best you can do? (laughs) $7,000. Like remember when we had uh, Will Jones on a couple of months Mm -hmm. ago and he's like, 
give me $4,000 since Redcon, I've moved load for you. Like that's, it's a stereotype, but it's kind of funny because you'll it's, get these people now where they, they're just demanding the most ridiculous rates. And you know, what's wild is they're they getting get higher. That's why rates. they're doing it. Yeah. But what happens when the market kind of ships back? I would think you're going to start seeing it shift back more this fall. Um, but I mean, you know, barring any, another pandemic shutting everything down, who knows? But um, you know, these folks are going to be the ones getting beat up when they're not in such a crunch anymore. You know what I mean? Like when they're not the hot commodity, when there's so much capacity out there, who knows? And also like, I mean, they're the same folks that when you try to cover a load on Friday at four o'clock, literally want seven grand for what you're normally paying 4,500 for, right? Like they know that they're playing that game and like the joke, I mean, I worked at a large brokerage that has employed, you know, tens of thousands of people through the years. And like, I can tell you how many, you know, <laughs> how many of the notes under the carrier said exactly that. <laughs> like, yep. oh, Vlad will handle it for you, but for $10,000. So make sure you need this so, truck before you call them. <laughs> so this, you brought up a good point. And there, it's the, um, your, your carrier rating within your TMS. Most TMSs have some sort of rating system, um, but you should definitely have some sort of notes, right? And if you have a, if you have a bad history with a carrier, take those into consideration. So, I don't know. I got to kick out of that one, though. Vlad, good yep. stuff. Um, all right. Is now a good time to get into brokering? What are some tips to get started? Um, and I, the question went on. It was like, with the capacity being the way that it is right now, uh, now a lot of people might tell you that, no, it's not a good time to get into brokering for that reason. But I would challenge and say the opposite. I'd say, and we've talked about it, Ben, just about any customer will talk to you right now. This is a great time to get into brokering. Yeah. The way I always looked at it is it's always going to be one of two, like, or it's sometimes it's in the middle, to be honest, when it's just a, a, the market is still kind of transitioning. But the reality is, is it's usually either hard to find a shipper to answer your call or hard to find a carrier. Right now it's hard to find a carrier, right? But the reality is, is at the end of the day, just think about the food chain and brokerage. It starts with the shipper. That doesn't mean they're the most important, but the food chain starts with them because they're the one paying the first bill, right? They're the ones that are determining who is going to pay for their cargo. And those I've always found are much more difficult to connect with than carriers. Because if you've got enough good freight and you've got some good customers now, even if trucks are hard to come by, if you can get enough money in a load, you'll find somebody to move it. Maybe not right. at the volume you want. Maybe it'll take you a little longer, but I think I would rather start in this market than the other one. And I've worked in both. I mean. Yeah, I agree. And I don't know if no one, no one can see us right now, but I, uh, in the middle of you answering that question, I changed our background. So it looks like we're both sitting next to a campfire right now. And it so. makes your head look really tiny too, for some reason. <laughs> Oh, I love it. No, so that's a good point on that question, though, is, um, you know, even if you don't get a lot of shippers by making the calls, it's really, really good experience to be able to talk to folks, start to learn the common pain points and also, you know, connect with carriers as well, whether or not they're going to have capacity for you. It's a great time regardless. So, OK, tips to get started. Freight Broker Basics course, man. If you, I always tell people, so if you... Like we talked to a guy yesterday, he's got no idea if he wants to like, Hey, am I being stupid if I do this? And it's like, you'll know fairly quickly if 
brokerage is something for you or if it's not. And I think our course is, is a great way to go about doing that. You're going to learn just about everything you need to learn to set yourself up for success. All the tips and tricks in there, you get a free month of group coaching. All right. And hey, at the end of the day, if you realize I don't like it, well, at least you, you know, at least you didn't go all in and get your bond and authority and spend months and countless hours just wasted. Right. So link in the show notes for the course, or it'll be on our, on our website too. And I think the biggest thing to point out why, why, why you just pointed that out is that I think most of the courses out there were written and geared to help people start a business. And what was very different about the way Nate and I approached this was we looked at what does everybody or what do we think everybody should know over their first two to three years in the industry? And that's what we put in the course. So it isn't just, hey, this is how you get your bond. This is how you get set up. It's literally everything Nate and I knew and we could put into this course in regards to how the market functions, how to get shippers, how to do everything we talk about on the show. Yep, absolutely. Um, Hey, and if you just want to get a taste of it, there's a video on YouTube, right? Just kind of like a little introductory. So check it out. All right, next question. How can I get out of a sales rut? Um, This is good. I like this question because everybody, whether you're a top producer or not, you're always going to have a fluctuation in your number. So like, I used to get pissed when I'd go from like an awesome month. The next month I'm like, man, this is where I was three months ago. What, what the heck? It's just, it's the nature of the beast, right? So first of all, take out variables such as, um, you know, if you move seasonal freight, right? Let's just say you have consistent year round business and it, it takes a dive one month. Um, what do you say, Ben, when someone's in a rut? First of all, I'm going to say, don't beat yourself up too much about it. But yes. And if you're asking the question, how I get out of the rut, you're already ahead of a lot of people who just don't care. Or are yeah. thinking close the first thing is a rut usually refers to the results. But the reality is, is nobody in the world has any control over their results. What you have control over is your input and your activity. So if you feel like you're in a rut and it's likely because your profit went down this month or this week or your customer slowed down, that's not really a rut. Like, the rut is whether or not you've been consistent with your activity because your results will always follow your activity. Start small, start with something, start making five calls a day, then try to do 10 then try to do 15, try to get back into what got your book of business to begin with. And why we came up with the content on prospecting with a purpose is literally this, find something that interests you. That's also going to help spark this. Find something that you want to do, you want to talk about, and then start finding people that ship that. Yep. I want to add one more bit in there too. Um, so obviously don't do nothing because you want to identify what caused that rut. And maybe it's be- maybe it is because your activity wasn't there. But there's also the chance, what if your customers were slow for some reason? You're going to learn a lot by having the conversation with them about how because their month was slow, right? Like, hey, you guys didn't ship that much outbound this month. How's everything going with your customers and you know all that stuff? And you might learn all kinds of stuff just by cracking that uh, egg open right there. So yeah, good stuff. Yeah, and the other side might be, I mean, maybe it's not a sales rep. Maybe they brought on another broker and maybe you've just not been as proactive as you needed to be with asking for the freight and getting the loads. I mean, could be a lot of issues. Yeah. I mean, Agreed. Okay. I like this one. I had a girl reach out to me 
few days ago or maybe over the weekend, she said, do shippers and traffic managers work on weekends? Because she was wondering, like, like, should I should I broker on the weekend? And I told her, like, I said, we're going to talk about this on the show. But yes, they absolutely do. And it's the brokers who work those weekend hours that can clean house. Literally, if you get with the right uh, customers on this, because most brokers aren't going to work on the weekends. So, Ben, what do you think? You came from a big brokerage. I know they had weekend coverage. Yeah, yeah. I remember asking the manager I trusted um, when I was working Saturday shifts. I said, and he had been there like 12, 15 years. And I said, "Did any, has anybody ever closed anything significant prospecting on a Saturday? And I remember what he said. He said, I can't recall anybody actually closing a customer on a Saturday, but I will tell you the people that do make calls on Saturday tend to be the ones that do the best. Basically what it's pointing out is the people that are ambitious and hungry enough to dial on Saturdays. Yeah. You're probably not going to close that much business by calling on a Saturday, but you're probably the type of person that's going to close it Monday through Friday when your peers aren't. And I will, I'll add on to that. If I'm so looking at existing customers, right? If you're, if your customers have some sort of Saturday hours for pickups or deliveries, Stuff can fall out Friday night, Saturday morning. That is when I think it is crucial. Just, hey, just wanted to make sure you guys are all good for today. Um, I can help out if anything is urgent or fell off this morning. But, you know, if not, hope everything goes good. Have a good weekend. But that's those are the kind of things where you're going to find that little nugget every now and then. So, yeah. And here's the other thing. Shippers do work on the weekends. Um, not all of them, but a lot of them do. And the ones that do, you want them to know that you're available for them when they need it, regardless of when it is. So what I've always found helpful was when I had to work the Saturdays or when I would, even for a few hours, I would shoot some emails over to customers or prospects, not really expecting a response or to get business, but just so that they knew that I was willing to work whenever the need was there. And that's really what you're trying to get across in prospecting anyway. Yep. Uh, Absolutely. And I want to add to that too. So a lot of people text nowadays, right? So I can, I I know like certain people that I have regular communication with, right? There are some people that if it's after like dinner time for them, they're not going to respond to me till the next day. There are others that I send a text and boom, three dots pop up. They're about to respond to me. Um, And I have the same kind of methodology, right? I have an expectation with certain people that, um, you know, if it's urgent, yeah, like give me a call or text me at night, I'll take care of it. But I have some people that like, like friends, right? And they're like, I'm having family time or dinner and it's like, it's not an emergency. And like, I'm just, I'm not going to answer the phone. I'll just text them like, Hey, I'll call you tomorrow. Um, but to show availability in urgent times like that, or, you know, dire times, um, it's going to go a long way with your customers. And, but again, expectation management, right? If you can't, if you can't hold yourself up to that standard for the long term, don't set that standard for the beginning with. Yep. Yeah. So, um, got one last question here. Um, can I use a hot shot instead of a flatbed? Uh, so first of all, let's talk about what a hot shot is. Um, it's, well, it's a fairly generic term, but picture a, uh, a pickup truck pulling a small flatbed, right? Um, sometimes they move like smaller equipment, stuff like that. Um, you can absolutely use a hot shot in lieu of, of a flatbed, um, if the towing capacity and weight limits are there and just also make sure you t- 
Tell your, uh, and the length, obviously. Make yeah, sure that, your customer knows. Yeah, that's my first point. My first point was the first thing you should always be asking your customers is what equipment they are willing to load and their receivers can handle. Yep. Um, so some loading docks can't handle or they won't deal with a hot shot. Some of them have PP&E requirements where they won't allow anything but a flatbed, a step deck, or a Conestoga. Some will be flexible with their freight. Like, hey, yeah, we have flatbeds, but hey, anything that'll run on a hotshot, we'll take the cheaper option and would be happy. But I would first and foremost, ask your shipper and then make see if it's an option. Because that's the other thing. To that same question, one of the things that I learned early on in the industry was, Always try to make your options as wide as possible. That way you've got the biggest net for the market. So if you tell me you need a dry van, I'm also going to ask you if you can load a reefer. If you I was going to say, me- let's, let's say, let's talk about some of the, you know, yep. let's get as elementary as possible or as needed here, but like some interchangeable equipment types, right? Yep. If it can load on a dry van, it could definitely load go on a reefer. reefer. Just, don't, just don't have the reefer unit on. Usually, not always. I mean, sometimes the cargo, the reefer unit will affect it, but for the most part, it can Again, ask the shipper. But same thing with box trucks, sprinter yep. vans. Yep. Um, hot shots, small like, dry vans is really all they are. Smaller dry vans, again, does Benton vans come and play with the loading docks and whatnot, but they should be used interchangeably and they're great options. Always ask of the shipper first, though. Yep. Um, you've got like your Conestoga flatbed. I mean, think about just the amount of open deck trailers. Now, this is where open deck and again, revert back to our episode that we did months ago on this topic, but there are so many different types of open deck trailers. Um, You got to think about height, like your clearance, right? Weight, all that stuff. But a lot of that stuff's interchangeable. So like, for example, if it's, you know, let's say it's a smaller shipment, like it's eight foot long and it can go on a flatbed. Well, it can probably also go on just about any other type of open deck trailer. A hot shot, a step deck, an RGN, yeah. a Conestoga, it'll pretty much fit into just about anything. Also, the interchangeability of, let's say, LTL. Like if you have a volume LTL load to like a partial, right? So I think uh, agent I was helping yesterday and um, he's like, oh, I didn't know we could move LTL. And I was explaining how we do it. And then he's like, oh, well, um, it's nine pallets and it's you know it's like two thousand pounds total or four hundred thousand pounds it was anyway it was very light so it was very uh low density high class expensive ltl freight and i was like yeah you may think that partials and ltl are interchangeable but they're not always so you got to make the phone call like those larger ltl shipments you want to call the the um carrier directly and try to get a volume quote um chances are you're not going to get a good uh, more competitive pricing LTL volume. If it's a light shipment compared to a, a partial that you can match up on a full truck. Uh, but these are sometimes interchangeable options. Like if someone has a single pallet or two pallets, you can go LTL, you can go partial, you can go um, like an expedited, like a sprinter van, depending on the dimensions of it. But you got to think outside the box, this, this kind of thought process and um, pro- providing options and solutions to your customer that is adding value. That's what good brokers do. So that's it. Providing options and solutions to the problems they have. Yep. And Hey, you don't have to always have a solution for them. You could tell them, Hey, I, I, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to be able to do the best on this one for you. So that honesty goes a long way. 
So, well, hey, that was a good, uh, good bunch of questions we got there. I think every now and then, as the questions come in, we gotta, we gotta have an episode like this. Um, what else is going on, man? We got uh, gonna have a new video dropping here in the next week or so on how to find shippers. Um, how to find shippers? The yeah. follow up on the leadership video we'll have out. Um, the shippers one is cool too because um, you know we're still putting it together, but. I actually, it's Ben and I together, and I walk you through, I show you on my screen how to use Google, how to use LinkedIn, how to leverage Google Alerts. And I give you an example of a specific customer that I was prospecting, and I show you all the all this stuff. So, and um, Ben will add his, you know, he's got his content and uh, spice to add in there as well. So, but yeah, leadership one, we just dropped the blog on that. And obviously, that was our episode last week. It's good stuff. Absolutely, man. What do you got on final thoughts, Mr. Cross? Um, well, hey, I'm going to play Pinehurst courses, courses number two and three Super um, in the next couple of days here. So I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to get a change of pace and play some golf and I'll have to bring you back a souvenir or figure out. Uh, I'll, I'll show you down there what they got, but I know you're, you're a golf pro. So, but uh, that's all I got, man. man. How about you? Whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. Until next time, go Bills. That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to check out all the other episodes for even more great content. Check out the show notes for links to any articles and content that we referenced on this episode. Visit us on the web at www.freight360.net. And if you'd like to learn more about a new home for your agency, contact me directly. And if you'd like to learn more about me coming out to run a free complimentary sales training for your team, check me out on LinkedIn or again at www.freight360.net.